You are Locked On College Football, your daily podcast on all things college football. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On College Football, the weekly podcast that highlights the biggest stories in the college football world. Each day you'll have a new host sharing the latest on what's going on in their respective teams, but more importantly, giving you their hottest takes and insight. Now, each Monday you'll have me, Candace Cooper, host of Locked On Tar Heels podcast, leading this talented team. Do yourself a favor and make sure you download, subscribe to Locked On College Football podcast from anywhere. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code Locked On, and you'll get 20 percent off your next order so here's what i have on tap for you today locked on razorbacks host john neighbors in the building talking to me locked on sec host chris gordy in the building yes he is going to give me a grand scheme and scope of what's going on in the sec world and finally locked on big 12 host josh neighbor is going to talk to me about what's going on in his neck of the woods over there in the big 12 conference it's a lot of exciting things i hope you guys had a great weekend another wild week of football some fights some upsets some just craziness all around we are just it feels good to have college football back and a lot of teams and conferences back to playing and just you know everything is starting to feel a little bit like normal so let's talk to these hosts and get right into it shall we on locked on college football i have from locked on razorbacks john neighbors here to talk to me about the arkansas team and just how good they are doing this season from my standpoint because i figure you know arkansas is never really in the conversation but they've had a couple good games would you agree john uh yeah especially (laughs) considering what they had to go through the past few seasons yeah Yeah. just the fact that they've won games and they've been in most games is uh, quite the change so yeah it's been a pretty successful season by most people's standards now coach Pittman has been praised for turning this team around with some quality wins already this season do you think Pittman was the best hire for this team Uh, you know the best (laughs) hire maybe not but the right hire I believe so. In fact, I even tweeted it out, not to toot my own horn, but <laughs> I tweeted it out before uh, two weeks before he was hired that I wanted this guy because, okay. you know, it just Arkansas needed somebody that loved the U of A and loved the Razorbacks and had experience in the SEC and honestly was a guy that everyone respected and liked, not only coaches and players. And I knew he wanted the job and I know that he had wanted the interview. So I was like, why not give him a shot? You know, maybe he could be the Arkansas's version of Ed Orgeron down at LSU where everyone likes him, they respect right. him, they want to play for him. And uh, I know it's uh, not, you know, perfect. Obviously, Arkansas has got a long way to go and a few more years to really uh, understand it. But there's no doubt that what he's been able to do this season, uh, again, I think he was the right pick, maybe not the best pick, but the <laughs> right pick for what Arkansas needed. No doubt. Now talk about yesterday's loss against the Aggies. What did you like despite the fact that they came up short from the team yesterday? Honestly, the offense, Uh, Arkansas had been winning games and had been in games only because of their defense all season long. In fact, uh, you know, a lot of people look back at that Ole Miss victory they had and uh, Arkansas ended up winning, I believe, by two touchdowns roughly. But the thing is, is Arkansas had Ole Miss with seven turnovers, six interceptions. And you feel like if you're going to turn a team over that much, you should score a lot of points off of it. But they really didn't. They had two pick sixes in that game. That's really what gave them the win. So I was really looking at what point in time will the offense step up and start to show a little life. And that's actually what they did against the Aggies. They scored 31 points. Felipe Franks went 23 of 31 for 240 and three touchdowns. No picks. Rakeem Boyd finally got going, which was great to see him get over 100 yards for the first time this year. 
had Traylon Burks with a, over 100 yards receiving and two touchdowns. I I was really impressed by the offense and, and some of the drives that they put together. Unfortunately, A&M's uh, offensive line, man, they were just really giving Arkansas fits defensively, so they couldn't slow down their offensive attack. But there's no doubt that seeing the offense play as well as they did against an A&M team, especially an A&M team that's actually pretty good defensively, is giving a lot of people some hope going the rest of the way that, hey, even though they didn't beat the Aggies, there's still a lot more opportunities to win. No doubt. Now talk about Frank's performance under center and as the quarter leader and quarterback for the team. What has impressed you and obviously what's still kind of frustrating for the squad? Yeah, Felipe Franks is actually, you know, I talked about Sam Pittman being the right hire. I think Sam, uh, Felipe Franks was the right quarterback. Like he may not be the best, mm -hmm. but he's the right one because this Razorback team is extremely young, like youth all over the place. <laughs> and the one thing that they've missed more than anything over the past few years, there was a lot, but they definitely miss quarterback leadership. And Felipe Franks is a guy that has a cannon for an arm. He was coming off of an injury. He had XCC experience and he's exactly what Arkansas needed. You know, he's not going to go in every game throwing for 400 yards and five touchdowns, but they don't need him to do that. They just need him to be that leader, that guy that's, you know, a senior that's been around a long time and, have games like he had yesterday where he throws three touchdowns, no picks, you know, not turn the ball over. So he's been probably, I wouldn't say he's exceeded everyone's expectations, but he's exactly what Arkansas needed at the quarterback position this year. Now the Razorbacks have been on the wrong side of SEC officiating and how can the system improve to better call games and fix blown calls? You know, I, as far as the actual fixing of it, that's pretty tough because I think yeah. no matter as long as you have humans, you know, refing the game, you're going to have right. mistakes. But one thing that I have been really, really harping on and I, I will die on this hill is I believe that there should be more accountability from officiating in not only in the SEC, but just in general, because if you think about it. After a game, if a team loses, a coach has to go and answer questions from the media and the players who lost those games have to answer questions. What did you do wrong? Why did you do this decision? But yet the officiating crew, they're like the protected people where, you know, they don't have to answer to anybody. They just sit behind on, on an anonymity and just nobody has to, uh, you know, ask them questions. And they don't have to respond. All they do is the next day on a Twitter account, put out this generic statement of, yeah, this is what happened. And <laughs> sorry, like it just, yeah. it's very, I feel like transparency and accountability would make it go so much further because I don't think anyone's expecting the officials to be perfect. Mm -hmm. I think people just want to hear, Hey, I screwed up and we're, you know, we're not going to do that again, or we're, we're going to work on making sure we get better at it. Just, just at least own up to it and let everybody know that you're going to be trying better to be better. That's all they want. Right. Do you think there should be like an, an officiating person after every game to go over certain calls, whether good or bad, what have you, do you think that would be helpful for the group? I don't know. Yeah, because I don't think it'd be for every game because obviously, yeah. you know, if there's no controversy or anything, there's probably not. But I think that there should be, uh, you know, after a game or the next day or something where they do a Zoom conference or teleconference, whatever, with the head of officiating, just where people can ask questions and, and yeah. get down to the bottom of it. And I think that that would go so far and it'd be open to the public, like as far as like, you know, people could broadcast it or people could put it up on YouTube or whatever they want mm -hmm. just something to where fans especially can hear from the officiating on why they did things why they didn't do things what they're doing to change these things and you know if it's as simple as a teleconference where media can ask questions so be it I don't think it has to be every game but you know if it's something that's requested and something that a lot of people want to hear from 
then I think it should be. Cause I think again, after every game would be kind of convoluted, but right. you know, especially in games like we've seen so far this year in the sec, I think a few of those would be going a long way. If people would just answer some questions. No doubt. Now, so far this season, have the Razorbacks met or exceeded your expectations? And from you're talking about Arkansas in general, do you think fans are pleasantly surprised or you think they're still kind of flustered? Yeah. Oh man. It's uh. <laughs> First off, they've exceeded expectations um, because I had them winning three games this year. And I thought I was being optimistic because, (laughs) you know, this is a team that had lost 20 straight SEC games. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were in the SEC West now, which is just loaded with even the new coaches, Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin. People were, you know, feeling good about. And then on top of that, with the new SEC schedule they put in, they're like, hey, let's give Arkansas, Florida, and Georgia on the schedule because they're like the toughest teams in the country, or at least in the SEC out of the East. So it was just going to be a really brutal slate and brutal schedule. But I was thinking three and seven because, hey, maybe they they beat Missouri. Maybe they beat one of the Mississippi schools. Maybe they get lucky in some other game. But the fact is, is that Arkansas, with the exception of the first game against Georgia, and I know that, you know, the score may not be very uh, indicative, uh, indicative of what the game was last night, but still they have been competing in every game and they've been playing hard in every game. And I think just seeing that it's, it's made fans enjoy it again. Like they, yeah. now they no one wants to say, Oh yeah, two and three is a great season thus far halfway through, obviously not. But I think Razorback fans are realistic in saying they know how bad it's been. And so the fact that they're actually showing promise now is great and especially since they should be three and two after that Auburn call but still you are what you are and they're extremely excited to see how the rest of the season plays out absolutely now John where can folks go to follow your work and more importantly listen to more on the Razorbacks yeah it's just uh the best way to do it honestly is just following me on Twitter it's uh at buzz John neighbors because I work for 1037 the buzz here in Arkansas I do a radio show from one to four in the afternoons on nice. there uh, you can also follow the Locked On Razorbacks podcast literally anywhere podcasts are found. And if you find a place to have podcasts and it's not on there, tell me because I'll be shocked because it's <laughs> everywhere. So whether it's uh, Apple or Spotify, however it is, you'll find it on there. I have Instagram and Facebook are all the same. Buzz John Neighbors, the usernames. I, I mean, there's a lot of ways to get in touch with me and to be able to follow some of the some of the cool and fun stuff we do. So, uh, but yeah, that's that's probably the best way to do it is just uh, via social media. Absolutely. Well, John, I appreciate your time and appreciate you giving us insight on the Razorbacks. And, you know, should things turn around, I might have you back here as we talk uh, gearing up towards the end of the season. Absolutely. When the Hogs beat Bama at the end of the year, I'm sure I'll, uh, I'm sure we'll be, be in touch. I'm sure that's there, for sure going to happen, too. There you go. There you go. I love the positivity and the high predictions. Do you ever feel like you're always on? I mean, same. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes I just need to celebrate responsibly. That's when I reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies, perfect for a moment to unwind. It doesn't matter what team or sport is playing, Coors Light from Coors Brewing Company, Golden Colorado, is the official beer of watching any sport or team just to drink. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind, so when you need to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. All right, on deck, we have Chris Gordy, host of Locked on SEC podcast, and he is going to talk to me about the SEC as a whole. I've got some questions that I've been itching to ask, so let's get right into it. Chris, how are you? I'm good. It's uh, it's crazy to think we're already past the halfway point of at least the SEC football season. I know other teams are 
some conferences are just starting their seasons and all this, <laughs> but uh, crazy to think we're already at the halfway point and pretty impressed with, you know, how we've gotten here, at least from a standpoint of only a, only a couple of games that have needed to be postponed to this point. So it uh, seems like for the most part, the SEC and teams and coaches and organization have been doing what they need to do to make the games happen. And that's been a good thing. Absolutely. And, you know, considering the fact that the SEC was one of the last, you know, conferences to even speak up against, you know, protocols or what have you, I'm pretty, I can say for myself, also impressed that they have gotten things done. Now let's jump right into yesterday's matchup was between Florida and Missouri. Did you see the fight and like, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I get what transpired there. I mean, you know, Kyle Trask takes a takes a tough hit and you know, the, it's it's basically his teammates trying to get his back and all that sort of thing. But it just escalates to a place where, you know, it should not have gone from, you know, and when we talk about this time of social distancing and <laughs> trying to keep people for everybody apart, I mean, you just can't have that. And so, you know, the, the SEC is going to be taxed with, or at least the schools will be taxed with an interesting decision here because Florida's playing their, their biggest game of the season this week. I, I called the SEC East championship basically between Georgia and Florida though you know the the game formerly known as the largest outdoor cocktail party but <laughs> um you know Florida's gonna have to suspend some guys and you know mm. as of the time we're recording this they, they have not made any decisions or announcements yet but man that was just it was ugly it was not what you want and then for both coaches to get with the ref after they clear the field and then Dan Mullen to walk up to his crowd you know his fans and start waving his arms in the air, trying to get them fired up, walks down the tunnel, then comes back for a second time trying to pump the crowd up. And it's just like, it's funny because we posted the video of the fight on our uh, on the Locked On SEC Twitter page, mm -hmm. and it's got, you know, hundreds and hundreds of comments. And it's so funny. If you're a Florida fan, you love it. If you're a Florida fan, all the comments have been, love Dan Mullen. He can be my coach for the rest of his life and, mm -hmm. you know, love taking up for his team. And everybody else in the comments is, what an idiot. What a moron. <laughs> you know, like, this is, you know. So it's really funny how divided people are. But, again, if you're a Florida fan, you love your, your team showing some passion and getting fired up. I just, like I said, question the, is it the smartest decision to get into a fight ahead of your biggest game of the season? Absolutely. It's not also not the smartest decision for Mizzou, considering that the Gators had that big uptick in COVID cases. So I definitely did not understand that in the least. But jumping into talking about LSU's butt kicking yesterday against Auburn, how has that team become so undone? You know, I'm, I'm an LSU grad, so it's a, it was a little bit personal oh. to me. But yeah. um, no, I mean, it was the craziest thing to see because, you know, this is a this is a rivalry that has been very close year in and year out between LSU and Auburn. But to see uh, it, it basically it was like the trains, the, the train was off the tracks and everything that could go Auburn's way did everything that could go against uh, LSU did. And so it was just it was one thing after another. I mean, what's crazy to see is the final score is 48 to 11. This game was scoreless after the first quarter. Like, we went into the second <laughs> quarter, nothing, nothing. And it was just one thing compounded on top of another. LSU couldn't run the ball. They couldn't throw the ball. They couldn't stop the run. They couldn't stop the pass. Special teams wasn't great. I mean, it was one thing after another for LSU that was uh, – it was just a big snowball going downhill. Now, I, I don't think that's indicative of the rest of the year. Like, I think that'll be the worst game they've played. In fact – it was the worst game they've played in over 25 years. Not since 1993 have they been blown out in that fashion. But I think they're going to get right. Here's the problem, though. 
you got a bye week, and then you host Alabama. So <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, I think LSU can compete in that game, but, man, they're going to have to play uh, their best game on offense uh, that they've, they've played this year. Now, the good news is they'll probably get Miles Brennan back, who's their starting quarterback, back for that game. But you look at what Alabama's doing right now. Their defense is playing lights out. So uh, I don't know. I, it's funny. All, all my LSU buddies, th- their reaction after that game was, <laughs> Uh, you know, hey, at least we had 2019. Hey, uh, you know, let's pol- <laughs> let's polish that national championship trophy. And hey, they can never take Joe Burrow's memory away from us. But I-, I will caution the Auburn fans a little bit, though. A lot of them are, you know, riding high, but just proceed with caution because it's a li- might be a little bit of fool's gold. You played your best game of the season. Auburn may not look that that good again the rest of the year. Absolutely. Now let's talk about Alabama, who continues to roll over everyone. Do you think it's their championship to lose this year, or can Clemson take it away from them? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because we just saw Clemson play with fire this past week against Boston College with their backup quarterback. And, you know, we already know Trevor Lawrence is going to be out for the game against Notre Dame this coming week, so that's big. But as far as Alabama goes, they're exactly as advertised, if not a little bit better (laughs) at least offensively, nobody really thought Mac Jones was going to be this good. I, my comparisons I made before the season, I said maybe Mac Jones could be as good as A.J. McCarron or Greg McElroy or something like that. No, he's absolutely in two a category. When, when you look mm. at the stats and the numbers, he is as good, if not a little bit better, than what Tua was last year for Alabama. So I, I would say as long as Mac Jones keeps playing as well as he, he is in that run game, man, they are, they are going to be tough to beat. And again, I know they played Mississippi State, who's not very good, but that's a shutout. I mean, that, that goes yeah. in the book as you, you held them to zero points, and that's as impressive as any. And so, yeah, I just don't see a team the rest of the way that's going to be able to keep up with Alabama. And, and we, the big story last week was the loss of Jalen Waddell. I said at the time, it won't matter. It doesn't <laughs> matter. The rest of the way, you've got Devontae Smith. You've got John Metch. You've got all these different weapons that you can just keep throwing the ball to and so far it's it, it, they just look like this juggernaut that's not going to be stopped yeah listen I'm an ACC girl but I certainly agree with that Alabama just looks better and better as the season rolls now given this shortened season which teams have you been most impressed with and who has surprisingly struggled uh I mean LSU goes into the easy category of of surprisingly struggled um right. you know Arkansas was a nice surprise team, and, and I picked them this past week to beat Texas A&M. I thought they had a, a real chance, but, man, you, you got to tip your cap to what A&M has done. I mean, they got the big uh, marquee win over Florida uh, uh, a couple weeks back, and, uh, you know, really their only blemish on the season was losing to Alabama, and I think it was week two. So outside of that, A&M is really looking like a, they can be a contender. And, you know, the, the big question moving forward right now is here you have Georgia as a top-five team but their quarterback play was very subpar against Kentucky this past week. And, you know, you just wondered them having to play Florida this coming week. Can, you know, I, I think Kyle Trask is going to be able to have some success throwing the football around the field. And, and, you know, he's been one of the best quarterbacks in college football this year. Can Georgia answer? Can they keep up if Florida starts scoring on that Georgia defense? So I think we got a, a really huge game coming up this week. Like I said, it's the, the SEC East de facto championship between Florida and and Georgia and it just becomes who wants to play Alabama at the end of the year we've seen Georgia do it once and it didn't work out they get shut out in the second half I think Florida is a really interesting team just from a standpoint of they're not as good defensively as they typically are but that offense seems to be unstoppable with Trask and company so uh, that's a that's a big game for me this weekend but if I had to say teams that have been surprisingly good A&M falls in that category and like I said disappointing LSU and then yeah, you know, Vandy was expected to be one of the worst teams but they're sitting there at 0-4 and, 
they're not going to win a game. And so they're mm. going to have a big decision to make at the end of the year. Is this the end of the road for Derek Mason? You know, do, do, you, do you show him the road or do you just give him a pass with, I mean, we're watching organizations across the SEC trim the fat and cut people left and right. I just wonder if any coaches are going to be fired because who wants to pay any buyouts right now? hundred percent. And also, do you think given the season, you give a little more grace to your coach or your different or different programs? Excuse me. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, we heard the, the, the stat last week or, or rather the info that Auburn was two of their road games. They flew to the city, but then took a bus back to save money. Uh, LSU just fired a couple of their, uh, you know, people in their athletic department this past week. So a lot of schools are having to trim the fat wherever they can and save money. And I, like I said, I just wonder, you know, Will a school be willing to play, pay a multi-million dollar buyout in the face of, you know, athletic programs having to cut cut fat and and, and trim money wherever they can to save a dollar? So uh, I really think there's a real possibility. Everybody who's currently an SEC head coach is back again next year. No doubt. Now, if people want to hear more on Locked on SEC podcast, where can they go and where can they go to find you and your work? Just wherever you find your uh, your podcast, we're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're just about everywhere you can find us, Spotify. Just look for a Locked on SEC, and uh, we're here for you five days a week talking all things SEC, which we know is the uh, best conference of college football. <laughs> Have to put that in there last, but I appreciate your time, Chris. And, you know, come SEC championship, I look forward to talking to you and giving me some more of your predictions. Absolutely. Thanks, Candice. As you know, I am on this new fitness journey since retiring from swimming. I have been looking for great treats to stay fit but keep me nice and toned. That's why I've leaned on Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. With 18 amazing flavors that are 100% covered in chocolate, Built Bar is even more delicious. If you're a health conscious person like me, you'll enjoy Built Bar because it's low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, and great for the keto diet. Head to BuiltBar.com now and use promo code Locked on, and you'll get 20% off your next order. All right, final interview of the day. We have Josh Neighbors here from Locked on Big 12 to talk to me about his teams and how they are doing as a whole. Josh, how are you? I am well. Thank you for having me on this Sunday. Of course, of course. Now let's talk about the Big 12. The Big 12 came out hot to start the season, but seems to have fizzled out in the top spots of the AP poll. What do you attribute that most to? I think all of these teams have significant flaws, right? They all have pretty obvious flaws. Uh, Texas, it's kind of a mixture of things. Uh, they can't run the football very well. Their defense is inconsistent. Oklahoma, uh, their defense can't tackle. We saw that against, uh, you know, against Iowa State. Oklahoma's offense also, too, is uh, really inconsistent. You know, very good at times, but also, too, we saw the mistakes kill Spencer, uh, Spencer Rattler, rather. Oklahoma State turns over the ball too much. We saw them with five turnovers yesterday against Texas. Iowa State had a, has a tough time balancing their offense, getting the passing and the running game going. So every one of those teams that you look up, that's, that's near the top in Kansas State, too. I mean, just got thumped yesterday by West Virginia. So you look at all those teams who are in and around the top right now, and they all have flaws that we can point to and say, hey, this team can be exposed pretty clearly by this avenue. So I, I think it's, I think every single team kind of having that fatal flaw. And there's a lot of teams like that right now, but uh, the big 12 doesn't seem to have a big dog, like you know, the ACC, uh, the, you know, the SEC or the big 10 right now. A hundred percent. Now Oklahoma state showed a glimmer of hope to be one of the top schools in the nation, but were tripped up yesterday by Texas. How bad did the Longhorns need that win? They needed it pretty badly. And uh, to be honest with you, I'm not sure 
if they deserve more credit for winning. I mean, they deserve some, but Oklahoma State, once again, turning the ball over five times. And uh, if you take a look at some of the numbers in that game, it's unbelievable. Texas was outgained by nearly 250 yards, uh, and still somehow won the game. They were uh, the, the passing disparagement too. Spencer Sanders threw for 400 yards. Sam Ellinger threw for 169 yards. On the ground, they averaged 3.8 yards uh, per game uh, per play. And then also, too, they were two for 15 on third down. Mm. They did get the five turnovers, yeah. and that's really what helped them. Uh, but a game, you know, if you were to tell a Texas fan at the end of the year, hey, look, you turned over Oklahoma's, or you turned over any team five times, and you had a kickoff return for a touchdown. They tell you, yeah, we won that game by probably three scores. Mm-hmm. And that's the issue, right? Is that Texas wants to be the highly ranked team. Right. They don't want to be the three and two plucky underdog coming into Stillwater and knocking off, you know, the number 16 in the country. They think they should be the number 16 in the country. Right. So while progress is made, and this is a huge win, we have to look at other things too, right? You almost lose Texas Tech. You lose TCU. You lose to Oklahoma and what's a rebuilding year for them. And also you lose a bunch of really good recruits this past week. They're not good signs. Those are yeah. all not good signs for Texas. So while this is a great win for them and they should enjoy it, they're still a four and two football team. Uh, that's And they're still three and two in the big 12 conference and a conference that we know is not full of elite teams. Well, do you think Sam Ellinger has just had an off year? Cause I feel like a lot of hype was given around him being a senior and trying to be, you know, the leader for that squad. Yeah, I think it's a combination of things. Like Sam Ellinger is not a good th- – I mean, he's a fine thrower, but he, you don't look at him and say, wow, Sunday arm, uh, you know, a guy who's going to sling it all over the you know all over the field. He doesn't have the arm of a Spencer Rattler or a Spencer Sanders or a Brock Purdy, but he's also a good runner too as well. But with the running comes the fact that your quarterback is going to be dinged up if you run the ball that many times a game. So I think with Sam Ellinger, there's a lot of pros, right? You saw at the end of the game yesterday making a spectacular throw to Joshua Moore, but the cons are the first three and a half quarters of the game, there wasn't a whole lot going on. Made a couple of nice throws, but Oklahoma State, which is a pretty good defense, was able to shut down that running game and able to shut down the passing game too. I mean, they didn't have a ton of answers on offense. And to be honest, they scored a lot of the time with a short field. So I was talking to Chris Gordy from Locked on SEC, and we were talking about coaches not being on the hot seat because a lot of the teams can't afford buyouts. But do you think any Big 12 – I mean, yeah. Oh, this team can. (laughs) Exactly. So let's talk about Coach Herman. And, you know, honestly, at the end of the day, he's been given a lot of rope. But do you think he – it's about his time? Yes. So the issue I have is this, is that they switch coordinators during the offseason, right? So, So we know he's on the hot seat. And you're switching to two different coordinators. Mm. And anybody who watches football knows that hmm, that's probably going to take a bit more time to fully adjust everything. And that's not time that he has. Yeah. Uh, I, I know you have to make a change sometimes, but two changes that are that big. It's just hard to, it, it's hard to fathom that things can get that much better and click that fast uh, and that kind of scenario, right? And I, I think that's what you're seeing is that there's a lot of good, right? We've seen some positive changes in this win. They did a lot of positive things, especially on defense. Right. So Chris Ash finally gets, you know, they actually had a pretty nice defensive game. Credits to Chris Ash. But, but also to the offense was really struggling. You see that as well. So there's too much turmoil. And what this program wants is the stability because they're tired of us doing the Texas is back thing because they get a big <laughs> win and then TCU beats them. Yeah. So they're looking for not that. And I think with Tom Herman, it's just too up and down. Yeah. And what they need is something that is dependable and consistent. 
So, I mean, if they want to do it, the money's going to be there, right? I mean, <laughs> this is one of those schools where the, the boosters will come forward. There's way too much money there at Texas. You know, the pandemic be damned. Uh, they will find the cash to make it happen. They don't. They don't give a crap about about you know your your economic arguments about the pandemic. So, uh, I do think it's his time. I don't necessarily that think that means that he's like a horrible coach. I just think this was bad, not a bad fit from, from the beginning, but it's ended up being a bad fit now because he can't correct their problems. Like they're going to need somebody yeah. who is a like cornerstone coach to come in and correct this. A hundred percent. Now, given this shortened season, let's talk about 2020 as a whole, which teams have impressed you most and which have been surprisingly struggling? West Virginia is the first team that I would say has really surprised me. Uh, Neil Brown has them turned around a lot faster than I think we thought. They they pummeled Kansas State yesterday. And a pretty decent Kansas State team. I know they're back a quarterback, but they force a bunch of mistakes. Their defense is playing a lot faster uh, and pretty well this season. They did have one kind of weird hiccup against, West, uh, against uh, Texas Tech that was odd. But for the most part, I mean, this team is now four and two. And if, if that Texas Tech game they're able to swing it in the fourth quarter and their offense doesn't go completely stale. It's actually a five and one football team mm -hmm. and we're having a different conversation. So I think Neil Brown, the job he's done there at West Virginia uh, has been very good. Also impressing me. I mean, I'm going to say Oklahoma state because their defense has been so good. Yeah. This is a defense that in the last couple of years, you just kind of laugh and you're like, they're just a classic big 12 defense. I mean, they can't tackle. Mm -hmm. uh, and Jim Knowles comes in and it's like, well, he's blitzing a lot. So I guess that's what it's his thing but they tackle well. Like these guys are pretty good in space. Uh, they've got a couple ball hawking safeties got hurt granted, but I've actually been pretty like their defense has been very impressive and they can get the consistent offense. That is, that is the best team in the conference this year. So I think they deserve some credit. And then Chris Kleiman, the job he's done at Kansas state. I know they got thrashed yesterday, but that is a really good program. And yeah. he is a really good coach. Some people were skeptical of that hire, but I just think the fit is fantastic. I think a coach coming from a place where North Dakota State, you have to take guys and they're not always great at, you know, everything, right? You know, some guys too short, some guys are too big, some guys, whatever. And getting them to all play well together, that's what you have to do there. Kansas State's in that same position in the Big 12, right? Not going to have the fastest guys, not going to have the biggest guys, not going to have the strongest guys. But if you're going to pl you play well as a, you know, collective unit, you can control the game and keep it on schedule you know, you can do really well. They're kind of the uh, Big 12's Kentucky, if you will, in that sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, good Kentucky. I mean, like, you know, <laughs> Kentucky, um, uh, you know, when, yeah, that team's done well. So those are the teams that have impressed me because there have been a lot that haven't impressed me. But <laughs> those ones, I think you can say, have done a pretty good job this year. Now, when it's all said and done and we're looking at the Big 12 championships, which two teams do you see competing in that? And who do you feel like is going to be the victor? I think we're going to get... <laughs> It's hard to say, right? Because Oklahoma's now lost. They've already lost two games in conference. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if they can recreate what they've done the last two weeks, they are the best offense in the conference. And that is where I think you'd see the the, the rematch happening. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be Iowa State. Okay. Uh, and I, I, so number one, Oklahoma State, I have in there. I think Oklahoma State is going to, is, is going to either with one loss or two losses. I, I think they're going to be there because I don't think number one, I don't think Texas uh, is going to go undefeated. I just don't think they're going to win out the rest of their games. So I think Iowa state and Oklahoma state would be your two just because they're the most well-rounded like Oklahoma, like Iowa state's got a good defense. Mm -hmm. They have 
players that we think should be a lot better on offense, but like we know we can trust them. Brees Hall is unbelievable. Brock Purdy should be coming along as a passer. They got to figure that part of it out. But from kind of an intangible point of view, both offense and defensively, those are the two most complete teams in the conference. So I do think those two will be the teams that we see uh, in the end of the season at the Big 12 championship game. There we go. Now, where can folks follow your work? And if they want to tune in more to Locked On Big 12, where can they listen? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Josh Neighbors underscore. You can follow us at LO Big 12. Uh, we're doing, we do picks there every single week. We do, uh, you know, I tweet obviously the links. You can find po- uh, Locked On Big 12 wherever podcasts are available. Uh, please leave us a rating if you like what you hear because. Uh, the last people who has had the podcast, I guess people didn't like them too much. So our, our ratings a bit down. So if you guys can help us out, get us, get us closer to five stars. That would be greatly appreciated. But yes, those are the places that you can find me. Uh, and also, and locked on nationals. I am also okay. the Washington nationals podcast host as well. So a myriad nice. of places. Nice. Yes. You had a, you had a tough season there a bit. Uh, yeah. Oh, you, you think you take over the world champions podcast and things, <laughs> things would go well. No, no, they were dreadful this year. So, uh, but yes. Hopefully, hopefully I won't cause the Big 12 teams to start losing the way that I caused the uh, the Nationals to start losing by taking There over. we go. Giving you all the good juju. Well, when the Big 12 championships come back around, I'm sure to have you back. But I really appreciate your time, Josh. Awesome, Candace. Thank you so much. All right. That's all I have for you today, folks. Make sure you download, subscribe to all of our hosts' podcasts today. Thank you again to John, Chris, and Josh for stopping by. Make sure you guys stay safe out there. Wear those masks. Go vote tomorrow and have a great rest of your week.